the thing we do is we build walls. Sometimes we'll get into those, you know, argument where Johnny and Susie are married now and the alienating talk. And like you said, yeah. the, the hurling of those hurts and the deflecting of it with a wall and how, how God has done that. He, he's cast it away and he's torn down the walls. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness and reconciliation are the opposite of the, of the, the stonewalling and the, you know, the projection of the hurts onto each other. And he cancels it out. He tosses it away. He tears it down and he removes the barrier so that we can find peace again. And the very things we do, he does in the opposite. So what do I do as I carry this out in this linear horizontal way? Whenever I find that stumbling block, I gotta go back to the vertical. How has he done it? Now I can move forward and do it too. Not perfectly, but practically with practice continually. That is Ed Fry and this is the WellMind Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 19 of the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Coles. Thank you for joining me. The WellMind is a space for meaningful conversations about a broad range of wellness-related topics. In this episode, that topic is forgiveness. Forgiveness is an incredibly important practice that supports our relational, emotional, and spiritual health. So if that's the case, then why is it so hard for us to apply forgiveness after we've been hurt? And why do we struggle with persistent, harsh, and critical self-talk when we've messed up or fallen short? It often comes from a misunderstanding about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Throughout this conversation, Ed beautifully articulates the work of forgiveness and reconciliation in our relationship with God, with one another, and within ourselves. Ed is a pastor and professional counselor and brings tremendous depth to this conversation. I had a great time with Ed in this episode and found his words to be of tremendous comfort and filled with grace. He has such a compassionate heart, and it's a joy to share this episode with you. So here is episode 19, The Practice of Forgiveness. Ed, welcome to the WellMind podcast. It's so great to have you with me today. I've been looking forward to our conversation all week and uh, really excited to embark on some rich discussion with you today about the topic of forgiveness, uh, something that I know for me in my professional career, I've spent a lot of time uh, thinking about, talking about with people and counseling, um, applying it certainly in my own life. Uh, so just a really, I think, important topic. So thank you so much for coming on and, and being willing to have this conversation with me. Privileged to be here. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. So Ed, um, I like to have my guests introduce themselves to the WellMind audience um, just by talking a little bit about um, who you are, where you're at, um, and then give us a little historical information, things that you would want to share about your past, uh, personally, professionally, um, so that the audience can get to know you a little bit. Thanks. Um, well, right now I am serving with Christian Family Solutions as a therapist, working at the Mankato Clinic and also serving on the two campuses of Bethany and Martin Luther College. I also do some 
morning sessions at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in New Ulm. So going up and down Highway 14 a lot. Yeah. And uh, just uh, honored to be able to be part of the, the counseling ministry. It's uh, been a great experience so far since I've been here since uh, September. Yeah. Yeah. So what is that? Yeah, we're not even really like six, no. are we six months in at this point? I don't remember what time in September that was. Sure. We'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> we'll call it that's that. A, Half that's a, a year. good number. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. And, <clears throat> but you've been counseling longer than the last six months. Yes. Yeah. So how long have you actually been doing some of this counseling work? I would say uh, working with the member assistance program, I was doing that uh, a year prior um, uh, as a part of the staff with that, but then also 25 years as a pastor in the Wisconsin Synod and obviously had opportunity to do pastoral counseling with uh, many opportunities God's presented in various places. I've mm -hmm. served a number of churches and was just honored to be able to help people there through that uh, capacity as part of the, the called servant there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so give me a little roadmap. Where, where, where have the journeys taken you in, in terms of places you've served? That's a good question. So strap <laughs> yourself in. <No>. Okay. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'll go back to the beginning since I sure. um, graduated from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary in 1997. And um, my wife and I received the call to serve as world missionary in Malawi, Africa. And that was a very exciting experience, just that whole um, buzz of activity and enthusiasm and the what what's next kind of anticipation and some classmates I still remember we we joked about this that um, it was that that week of where the conference of presidents was on campus and, and you know, they were deliberating the calls and placements and assignments and I just remember that you know the world mission calls they give you a, a little window of time to think about like 24 hours it was to uh, say yes or no, so to speak. And not to a specific place, just saying, would you Would do... you be willing? Yeah. Yeah, world somewhere. mission work. Somewhere. Yeah. Carmen San Diego kind yeah. of thing. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, I do remember the morning uh, that I was tapped on the shoulder by Professor Brenner, Sparky Brenner, John Brenner, large domineering fellow, but what, what a kind soul, but he just kind of after chapel came over and with his smile, tapped me on the shoulder and mm -hmm. took me down the hallway. And and uh, I went back to the section in the dorms after that. And the guys, they knew what had happened. Okay. <laughs> they were okay. all clapping and whooping and, <laughs> and uh, where are you going? <laughs> well, they asked if we'd like to think about Malawi, Africa. And I just remember one of the classmates afterwards going, that was kind of like the rapture. You know, he came and just snatched you away. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a joke about that. Um, but that never did materialize because as we were preparing to move overseas and working on, you know, culture immersion, language study, and just getting ready for what it's like to be a, a team player on a world mission scene, uh, we were also waiting for our first son to be born. And he was born with several uh, heart defects, mm -hmm. which in the end led us to asked to be released from that call. And that was kind of a first, uh, first for me, but also as talking with then President Gurgle okay. of the Synod, he said, this is kind of a first for us too. So it was a unique situation. Yeah. Um, 
And I was re reassigned uh, to a congregation in Findlay, Ohio, as associate pastor. And, and as far as our son, um, we took him to part, uh, pediatric cardiologists, one of which thought we needed to do some invasive surgery. And we got a second opinion. And the other fellow said, no, let's, let's trust God and let's try some medication first before we try to do exploratory surgery. And lo and behold, uh, the, the medication and by God's grace, all of the holes healed and there was no need for surgery. And he has grown up to be a strong, strapping young man and mm -hmm. actually... He's quite the athlete, got a actually. Full, full scholarship as a cross-country and mm -hmm. track uh, athlete. And I still remember one of the one of the most, I think, palpable memories for me was when he got his sports physical uh, in high school. And and the uh, the physician said, you have the strongest runner's heart I've ever heard. Wow. So I just, God is good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was how he, uh, he redeems things. Mm -hmm. And it's just so cool how he, in his time, makes things work according to his plans. And, and we just follow him. Yeah. And that's just a, kind of a neat story. So we went from there. Uh, and then I've served um, a dual parish in Wisconsin. I also served in the Milwaukee area in a congregation. And then last, I was out in uh, Nampa, Idaho, out where we have a, a large population of uh, Latter-day Saints or Mormons. And mm -hmm. it was interesting getting to you know, interact in that type of population and understanding that culture and, and their, their worldview. And that was, that was interesting work. Mm -hmm. And now here, and that, that was along the way, I began taking up uh, courses, got a master's in um, counseling psychology, worked on getting licensure while in Idaho. And, and then just the, the path presented itself for the opportunity for me to come this way. And, and here I am six months later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, and I'm sure we just glossed over tremendous details and, and events and those kind of things throughout that time, but that <clears throat> gives a good picture of kind of where, where things began for you in terms of service and, um, an opportunity to, uh, serve in a foreign mission field, but then thinking, well, need to make sure I'm serving my family. Yeah. And, uh, and that was all about taking care of your son's needs at that time, which was the priority. And it was just comforting to know that everyone supported that. Yeah. And it just was a blessing for us at that time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what a, a marvelous story, too, that to, to see that trajectory all the, all the way till now, where he's, like you said, um, quite this gifted athlete and on scholarship and, um, yeah, Pretty, pretty amazing stuff, actually. Yeah, it is. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just testimony of God's goodness. Absolutely. Yeah. All we need to do is just pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, trust, trust, right? That was the other thing that you kept kind of coming back to is, is trusting uh, that God's will would be done throughout this, this whole situation. Yeah. And then, yeah, this most recent... Um, kind of, I guess, path redirection or path shift. Mm -hmm. um, kind of talk me through a little bit about 
kind of what your thought process was in moving from, um, you know, pastoral ministry into even pursuing a degree in counseling, kind of the, the thought process behind that. It, it initially started, um, obviously, in the pastoral ministry and being given the opportunity to meet with people in counseling settings and... I do know at our seminary, we, we strive to obviously focus on, you know, original language study, being, being very careful that we're handling the word of God well. And, and we also focus on, you know, pastoral theology and um, aspects of counseling. And pastoral counseling was something we did obviously work on honing as a skill set. But as I got into the parish ministry and worked with people more and more, I began to find that I, I enjoy this aspect of ministry, mm-hmm. and and while I know pastoral counseling is very essential and important, um, there is a limitation, obviously, uh, to how far uh, a pastor can go in counseling. And it just got me thinking of if this is something of an interest to me and a passion on my heart. I, I've always enjoyed wanting to help people with their hurts and bring the healing of Jesus. It's got me thinking, is there more that God would like me to do, perhaps? Mm-hmm. And as I just prayed on that and and considered it, you know, just again, doors opened and opportunities presented themselves. And with uh, my wife's support, we stepped through those proverbial doors. And mm-hmm. that led to going back to school, uh, getting conferred with degree. And then just for a time, I took a break away from it because it just wasn't feasible for me to finish a practicum um, and internship work where we were currently uh, serving and living. But then as I moved uh, west, there was just an open door again where mm-hmm. an agency was looking for people to come in to finish internship work. And yeah. I got on board and that just began the the process again, moving it to closure and, and to the next step, mm-hmm. which then led to CFS reaching out, talking, dreaming, mm-hmm. thinking and planning. And then, and then we, uh, started planning the work and now here we are working the plan. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Right in the midst of the work here for sure. Yeah. I just, I, I'm, it's always something I'm curious about. Um, and, and listeners to the podcast will know because I've had this conversation with other guests when, when there's this shift in focus or shift in career or something like that, just kind of the, the decision-making behind that. And this really was, a uh, a, a process yeah. that you went through. Um, and it wasn't, it, it, yeah, it certainly wasn't this linear kind of point A to point B. <laughs> there, there were lots of... There were some circles. Yeah, <laughs> some circles or curly cues or whatever. But uh, yeah, but even even in those instances, seeing how, you know, the, the Lord worked um, in the right timing um, for these different opportunities and... Um, Certainly a blessing to have you here uh, in Mankato serving the, the campuses, serving the, uh, the students that are going to be future called workers, um, and uh, yeah, just doing good clinical work on a more full-time capacity. Yeah. Now, this topic of forgiveness that's before mm-hmm. us today... Um, there is a tremendous amount of overlap between uh, the for kind of forgiveness that you would probably be talking about 
from the pulpit to the pastoral counseling setting to the clinical counseling setting, which is really, you know, um, one of the reasons why I thought this would be a great topic for us to discuss because you, you've had so many different opportunities to be able to talk about forgiveness in kind of different roles or different capacities. Um, so I guess I just, I want to get your, your sense of things as we, as we start talking about forgiveness, what are some of the, the, the main, uh, I guess, points or, or the main, maybe even definition, like when you think of forgiveness, kind of asking that question, well, what does that mean? What does forgiveness mean? Um, what, what are some of the immediate things that come to mind for you, Ed? As I try to conceptualize forgiveness for myself and then bring that concept to others, I, I look at it as God uses it to this in a metaphoric way in some terms. He uses the pictures to describe what it is that he does for us and then how we also are to extend that to others. And and just etymologically, you know, the word forgiveness in Scripture has a couple of different nuances, and we see those, um, I think, teased out or, or brought to the surface in Scripture, especially in the words of Christ and Paul. Um, I think of... Jesus in Matthew 6, of course, with uh, forgive us our transgressions or our trespasses or the you know more accurate word of debt. Mm-hmm. And that brings that, that metaphor or picture of, of a, this is a, a commercial word in the sense of commerce and finance and a balancing of books, if mm-hmm. you will, rectifying an imbalance mm-hmm. is the idea of forgiveness there. But then it's also very personal. Aspect, and I think of how Jesus addressed Peter in Matthew 18, where there was the parable of the unmerciful servant, and that was in response to Peter's question of how many times. Mm-hmm. What is the the commercial or the commerce uh, type approach to forgiveness? Can we put a number on it? Mm-hmm. And seven times. And if we understand scripture, you know that's uh, that number seven is from the, the telus or the you know it's the completeness. It's a in Revelation we even see it uh, explained in some regard as you know the earth is four, God's number is three, um, and His number is also seven. And mm-hmm. when we look at the you know the four points of the compass plus the you know the three persons of the Trinity, um, the number seven in the sense of completeness always pictures you know God's interaction with humanity. Okay. Something special is going to happen. And, yeah. And, and so there's always been this idea. And that was the lens that he had on when he was asking that. Yeah. Like that's why he picked seven because it was such a meaningful, meaningful number. number. And this mm-hmm. is like a complete, quintessentially perfect number. Mm-hmm. This is the right amount, right? Yeah. And then Jesus, of course, turns it into a very personal thing, not just a commerce or number term, but tells that parable about the king forgiving and the, uh, the, the great debt and then, you know, the servant who's been forgiven can't even carry that mercy onto someone who owns owes such a small debt mm-hmm. and i tell you not seven but depending on the translation of 70 mm-hmm. times seven or 77 times the point being it's limitless yeah and that idea of forgiveness having no limit that it's it's inexhaustible i mm-hmm. think is first of all the concept that uh, i like to bring across for people because we kind of put it in limits. 
you know, mm-hmm. for especially from our perspective, from the, I think, the horizontal aspect of forgiveness. How do I forgive? Mm-hmm. And can I forgive? And what do I forgive and when? And and I, in order to understand that first, I got to look at that vertical, limitless, continuous forgiveness that God offers to mm-hmm. me first. Mm-hmm. And that's the foundation and source from which all others spring off of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's this vertical model, this model between uh, the way in which God interacts with his people and talking about that forgiveness being limitless. Um, I think there's also a... um, We can go back to that commerce kind of uh, picture too with debt, um, the debt of sin, um, the, the perfection demanded by God's law, um, and how that debt is is canceled, how that's balanced out. And so that that's kind of this uh, perfect example of forgiveness. But then you, you've already kind of then talked about the horizontal forgiveness, the forgiveness within relationships, the forgiveness between people, uh, between brothers and sisters, between husbands and wives, um, between friends. And that, um, you know, also follows the vertical, template of forgiveness is limitless. There isn't a, there isn't a number, um, but people, um, people that have been hurt, which I think includes all of us, <laughs> we want to know, is this something I can forgive? Is this something I should forgive? And if I do forgive, like, what does that mean? You know, me, me forgiving somebody else for a way in which I've, I've been harmed or hurt um, and that, that becomes a much, um, much more, I guess, complicated process. It seems pretty straightforward the way God has it laid out. Yeah. But then we have a hard time carrying that out in our individual relationships, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so let's, let's just really have a good understanding or picture of this vertical forgiveness first before we spend what I think like most of our time talking about this horizontal forgiveness uh, between people and kind of like from a emotional and relational standpoint and a spiritual standpoint, why that, um, why that's important. But um, can you talk just a little bit about um, this vertical relationship between us and God and, and this debt that we owe and how that's, how that's been canceled? Yeah, the the debt, you know, going back to that idea of the the commercial side of or the commerce aspect, you know, the aphasis, you know, the Greek word for forgive is to to cast off or to to toss away. And there's that vertical aspect of God tossing away the debt, you know, forgiving it in the sense of the books are balanced. Mm-hmm. It's been Mm-hmm. Another word that would be, I think, a synonym, but is kind of nuanced uh, as a synonym because it has a little bit of a different feel would also be reconciliation. To reconcile is to to bring together where there was separation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that comes into play when we try to think of the vertical aspect of what God has done in the aspect of forgiveness. To, to cancel the debt obviously means we were up to our eyeballs in debt that we can't pay Mm -hmm. and God could, and he did. And it was through the atonement, you know, that, that at one meant 
type of sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, which now addresses the reconciliation. You know, mm-hmm. To be at one is to be at peace, mm-hmm. to have an end to the conflict. And I think of Ephesians 2, where, where Paul talks about how there's a dividing wall of hostility, and there's a separation, and how that's part of the, the section of Scripture where he, he begins to also flesh out what he talks about later in 2 Corinthians 5 of God reconciling the world to himself. And that's such an interesting concept um, to, first of all, understand reconciliation as you know, there's a, a dividing wall of hostility, and, and reconciliation brings an end to hostility. It brings healing to division. It brings resolution to conflict. It brings uh, a closure to separation and just does the complete opposite of what has been created and, and whatever chasm has been been caused to happen. And it's interesting, just on a side, don't you think about, you know, in the Bible, how reconciliation is often used as a personal term with ethnic groups, how Paul talks about there's reconciliation in Christ with Jew and Gentile, mm-hmm. slave nor free, male mm-hmm. nor female. Um, all of those things that we look to as dividing walls have been unified in Christ. And there is no division there. That there's reconciliation, and it's so interesting how we, as the you know, as the body of Christ here on earth, trying to live this out. Uh, I look in my local church. Are there ethnic divisions? Mm-hmm. There, some maybe there are in some, but but there ought not be, and largely there aren't. You know, there's there's no ethnic division in my congregation. We all are one in Christ. And yet it's so very real out in the world. Mm-hmm. It just underscores for me the importance of what God wants us to have. And so he, in this vertical sense, you know, tears down the dividing wall in the, the atonement of Jesus. And then Paul in that section in 2 Corinthians says, and now not only have you been reconciled, but you have received the ministry of reconciliation. There's that personal horizontal aspect that comes from this as we look at what God has done. And so to go look at that hor- uh, rather vertical reconciliation, I look at how, um, especially if we go to 2 Corinthians 5, from our point of view, from a people point of view, reconciliation is kind of two-way street. From God's point of view, it's very unilateral. Mm-hmm. He's the active agent. He does it all. He reconciles to himself. He takes on our place in the debtor's prison, if you will, and then he also brings unity where there was once hostility and separation. He's done that. He is the subject. We're the object. He's active. We're passive in it. He's done this through that atoning work of his son, Jesus Christ, that that has made that all possible. And I, I like how you know he reconciles us. We receive this, and and partly because Romans five, Paul says, because the human mind, you know, the sinful flesh is hostile. Again, mm-hmm. there's another barrier. Yeah. God breaks that through in a unilateral, vertical way, and he 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 rectifies the situation. He reconciles the debt. He he balances the book, and we receive this. And it's something he did. It's a past tense. He reconciled. It's a factual action that he has accomplished. 
through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And, and, and that's something that's a valid truth that is effective because of what God did unilaterally in a vertical way, even if no one in the world believed it. Mm-hmm. his reconciliation would still be valid and effective. Mm-hmm. Now, to receive it, of course, God gives us with the miracle of faith to believe these things. And it is essential to have the gift of faith to be in a loving faith relationship with God. Uh, but that does not make his reconciliation effective. My faith is what God grants to me to receive it and have it as salvation. But the objective reality is he has reconciled unilaterally, completely. And my faith doesn't make it effective, but my faith sure makes it mine. Yeah, personal. And it's a personal. And so there we see how the the vertical becomes very personal again. And then that is what inspires the horizontal aspect of carrying out, as Paul said, the, the ministry, the the practice of reconciliation in the sense of healing the divisions and bringing unity where there was once separation. Mm -hmm. And that can be something that obviously we look at in relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, so much good stuff there. First of all, um, that, that having this really clear and firm understanding of how God has laid out this, um, this forgiveness and reconciliation um, being completely on him and not and not on us. Um, it's just it strikes me as, boy, that's so foreign to how in our hu- humanity we would think about forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, I don't I don't think um, we have to look any further than the playground at school to to say, you know, well, forgiveness is something that happens between two people. You know, little little Johnny pushes Susie. Okay, Johnny, say you're sorry. Okay, Susie, say I forgive you. You know, okay, now go and keep playing. Right? That it's it's this interaction mm-hmm. that that's happening, and that's from early on how we experience forgiveness within our relationships. Um, is this kind of like back and forth. And then that creates reconciliation. Now, yeah. Johnny and Susie may go and play with other people or they may go and continue to play with each other. Um, but that situation is kind of over and done with until until the next one. Yeah. And so that that um, that's just so, strikes me as so different from what you're talking about in terms of the, the, the vertical forgiveness and reconciliation that we have with God through Christ. Yeah. And it's so those pictures of, you know, canceling the debt and bridging the gap and how that vertical is complete, uh, in, in our savior, but then the horizontal is continuous for us. And I think that's what gives the aspect of our forgiveness, the sense of a practice. Mm-hmm. It's a continuous act that we continually act upon and do. And yeah. there's a practice to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that uh, we, we can pause there and spend a little time with that because um, when I was going through my master's program, um, I had a, a, the, a master's thesis that I had to write and 
um, you know, relationships, family, that's always been uh, something that's been on my heart, um, you know, personally, professionally. And so even at that point, I chose um, a topic on forgiveness. So I, I wrote my paper on forgiveness-based interventions um, when working with marital infidelity. And so as I went to the literature and I went to, um, you know, the experts in the field of forgiveness within counseling and psychology, and, and, and some of these were coming from a um, faith-based perspective. Everett Worthington is one of the authors that talks very um, openly and frequently about faith and, and about forgiveness. And so that was a primary resource. But even in, even in the in that process of doing that research, there was a noticeable um, distinction. Some approached forgiveness as a decision. And you would say, okay, there, there comes a point at which you choose and you decide, okay, I am going to forgive this person. Um, for others, and this was probably more common, they laid out kind of a multi-step process you know, three steps, five steps, seven steps, whatever it varied. Um, and some of it varied based on what kind of an intervention you're providing. But there's like this step-by-step -step process. Um, but as we were visiting about, you know, this kind of topic before we even got into the studio today, I, I said, I don't, yeah, I don't really like either of those. And we were talking about this word practice. Um, and that's, it's not that God practices forgiveness with us that God, God's done forgiveness. Like that's a complete, we've already established that. But in our lives and within our, our horizontal relationships, um, it is a decision that we make, but sometimes we have to make that decision to forgive over and over and over, right? And it's not even necessarily forgiving multiple things. Sometimes we have to make the decision to forgive the one hurt again and again and again, kind of a daily practice. Um, so I, I don't know, can you kind of talk a little bit more about that part, about how when you're working with somebody, you know, let's, let's try and make it tangible mm -hmm. here. When you're working with somebody and they're, and they're describing a, um, a hurt, a harm that they've experienced in life, um, and they're, they're asking, is this something I should forgive? Is this something I need to forgive? And, and you've kind of laid out this um, kind of beautiful summary today of the, the, you know, God's kind of template for forgiveness and reconciliation. Then how, what does that start to look like as you're working with somebody that, that's saying, I have this hurt or I have this harm um, and I'm, I'm not sure I can forgive or I'm, I'm not sure how to forgive? First thing I always try to bring people to understand is your forgiveness is never going to be like God's forgiveness. That, and I think we've established that, but yeah. I think it's important for people to recognize the only good that I do is only because of what God has worked in me. And first I have to go to that and realize I cannot forgive as God forgives, but I can forgive... Uh, in the effort of continuing to strive to forgive. And I think that goes back to what he was trying to teach Peter, the continuous 
forgiveness of the limitless number, um, that it is a, it is, there's an act involved where you do, I think, cognitively make a point to say, okay, am I going to continue to live with this hurt? Mm -hmm. Am I going to continue to have this resentment, this regret, whatever the, the pain is, dominate me? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... I will look at it from that point of view, from a, a decisional point, but but then it's not a one-time act. It's not a one-time decision. There's also this process of healing that goes along with it that needs to be uh, understood that, um, like, was it Johnny and Susie on the playground? Mm -hmm. One-time act, okay. Mm -hmm. Do they fight again? And, and then how do they approach? Can we... Where do we find the reservoir to be able to bring forth the ability, the desire to want to even just maybe in a pre-contemplative way to think about the idea of thinking about forgiving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from a human point of view? Mm -hmm. And then the contemplation of why is it important that I forgive? Um, and I can look at the healing and the, you know, the division that gets um, unified or the hurts that get covered and, and all that reconciliation type of, of work that happens. And, and then moving towards, I think, setting an intention and why that intention isn't, and then taking that intention, okay, I'm following this through. And, and I, I, I think that's kind of 70 times seven is there's this habitual practice that is kind of a process mm -hmm. where we're continually working this concept mm -hmm. and going to the intention and now setting the actual action, taking the intention to action and word, putting it into practice and continually doing that. And how do I forgive somebody you know, who's hurt me so hard? And where, what do I do with these grudges and resentments and uh, the hatred? Mm -hmm. yeah. I just can't yeah. forgive anger. That. Anger is a big one. Yeah, anger. And, and the anger is driven by, I think, a, a hurt. Mm -hmm. and a loss. Mm -hmm. and Absolutely. I think getting back to that and understanding, okay, forgiveness is not about minimizing the hurt or ignoring the pain or trying to, I think, ignore the damage that has been done. Right. I think that's part of getting people to realize what forgiveness is and isn't. Yeah. And that helps them to understand how to put it into practice then when they truly Look at it from that horizontal point of view. And, and where do I find the strength? How do I do this? Well, first of all, I'm not God. I cannot forgive as God does. And the only ability I have to even begin to forgive in part or whatever is from God alone. Mm -hmm. So I focus there. And then second of all, I also look at myself and is also my inability or reluctancy to forgive. Is it also based on the fact I've also forgotten who I am. I am a child of God. Mm. I am forgiven too. And all, does that help me to understand a little bit more of who I am in relation to the person I'm trying to forgive? And, and I look at that again from that vertical point of what does God say he does with our sins? Jeremiah, I remember them no more. Isaiah 42, I blot them out. Yeah. And how do I do that? Right. That this that 
old adage of, um, you know, forgive and forget. Yeah. 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 And, and boy, I've heard that so many times, like, and, and the answer is you're not going to forget you. And in you, in some, many cases you ought not forget, like, because, um, forgiveness doesn't automatically mean trust. Forgiveness doesn't mean reconciliation. Yeah, right, right. And that reconciliation, that that coming back together or making kind of at oneness, right, in, within a relationship, that may not happen. So so we're kind of, what, what God does kind of all in one fell swoop, right, in one act. It takes us a lifetime. It, yeah, I know, it does. It's so, there are so many individual um, acts or steps to, to take that each of these are um, an individual process. Yeah, and there's a there's a rinse and repeat aspect yeah. to it where we, we repeat it over and over. And and um, I think this is part of understanding it about self that it's not a one time act. That's God yep. doing only He can do that. But this is a lifetime of practice. And I think if we can look at it from that point of view and not in a selfish way, but from a healthy point of view to see that as a maybe a self-compassion that I can remind myself of uh, what I am able to do in the practice of forgiveness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what only God can do mm-hmm. in His completeness of forgiveness. Yeah. So, so you were you were talking a little bit about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't in in terms of a horizontal sense, and so forgiveness isn't a forgetting. Forgiveness isn't a um, automatic jump into trust or like I'm I'm fully into whatever relationship this is. Um, forgiveness is kind of I, I always refer to it as a prerequisite yeah. for trust. That's my academic yeah. side coming out. Like you've got to do that before you can do this. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and the other part that you mentioned too is that forgiveness isn't a uh, acknowledgement or an admittance that, oh, th- this is okay, which is funny in English that we say this when people say, oh, I'm sorry. What do we often say in response? Not I forgive you, but oh, it's okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Or don't worry about it. You know, like there's kind of this dismissing of the infraction. Um, and that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness really isn't a it's it's not saying oh it's okay or it's no big deal yeah. that you hurt me no it is a big deal and that's why using this language of of forgiveness um i i think is so important and so back you know i don't want to belabor the johnny and susie example but this is something that we do with our kids that that i think is important that as well as practicing apology we are also practicing forgiveness explicit expressed forgiveness, just like we would have explicit expressed uh, apology when we hurt or harm someone else or we disappoint them, that that we're, we're practicing both. And so I think, you know, even though that's a really basic example that I gave it, there is still quite a bit of utility, I mm-hmm. think, in doing that from early on. But then as we grow and develop and we have a a deeper, richer understanding of this. Um, if we have that kind of practice already of saying, I forgive you, you know, that there's a letting go, a releasing, yeah, which is what forgiveness really is. Um, and 
Ed, I got C's in Greek, so I'm I'm, but but I brought some of the Greek in because I had um, attended a, a lecture by Harold Senkbeil, and he was talking about some of these Greek words for forgiveness, for reconciliation, and um, and the one that stood out to me, um, aphemi, aphemi, I something Afimi, like yeah. aphemi, okay, that you know he he had this picture of um, or or people in. Uh, speaking the Greek language would have this picture of uh, like a, a soldier throwing a javelin or a spear, like hurling it as far and as hard as they possibly can. That when um, when we're talking about the forgiveness that Christ completed, that's what it is. It's this like hurling away of our of our sin yep. of our debt, and so like bringing that what forgiveness is for us is a, a letting go. If we can hurl it, if we can get it a, uh, as far away from us as possible, the better. But um, sometimes it's uh, it's a bit sticky. And so we try and throw it, but it, it, it sticks to us and we can't, we can't let it go. Yeah. Um, so, so when, when we're stuck, we're, We've kind of done the pre-contemplation, contemplation, like we've arrived at like, I want to be able to forgive this, knowing that doesn't mean trust, it doesn't mean it was okay, I still feel those feelings of hurt, um, and yet I don't want to be consumed by um, regret or guilt or anger or hostility. So I, I want to cast this away, I want to forgive and, and let go of th- that right or privilege that I feel I have to enact some kind of vengeance. Um, but I'm stuck there. What, what are, what are some of the ways in which you might speak to somebody at that point? I mean, it's really interesting to bring up the, the justice idea, you know, the vindication. And we think that somehow by harboring these regrets and holding on to these resentments that we're, we're somehow vindicating ourselves. Yeah. And Actually, we're harming ourselves. And I believe forgiveness is trusting God with the justice. But at the same time, we still respect the hurts. Yeah. And, and, and those are very real. Um, and that idea of you know, casting off or hurling um, to, to you know, Isaiah, the blotting it out, removing, canceling the debt, that is something that, is part of that, you know, it's the decision part. I think you use the word want. Mm-hmm. So there's desire. This is part of my volition, my yeah. will. Yeah. I, and that's, a, you know, that's a, an attitudinal choice mm-hmm. in degree, which oh, the Holy Spirit working in us makes us want to do these things more and more. But if we put it back in that, that commercial sense of, of payment of debt, it's I have now chosen to not hold you accountable to a debt you cannot or will not be able to repay. Mm-hmm. So I release you from that. I cast it off of me. I cast it off of you. I cancel it. And it starts first with me, you know, wanting and desiring to do that for the other person. Maybe it's in an intrapsychic way or whatever, but I think what that does, it brings freedom. That it, it puts the vindication back on God. And it puts me back in the position of what is my role, my privilege, responsibility, is to free myself from the regret and hurt as well as trying to 
move forward and past the hurt the other person has caused and seeing them in a different way mm-hmm. um, and seeing them as forgiven by God too as I am forgiven by God mm-hmm. and first going back that goes back to the vertical it always seems whenever our horizontal runs into a bump in the road mm-hmm. we got to take it back to the vertical yeah. to find the way to move forward yeah and I I release you from your debt that you cannot pay me yeah. or or I expect and demand that you must and won't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so sometimes that forgiveness, does get expressed to the person that caused the hurt or the harm. Um, other times, it maybe that that may not be possible. Yeah. And other t- you know other times it may just not be advisable. Yes. Right. So, so in those cases, I'll I'll, I'll share something here. Some some of the ways in which I've done that. I really like I like making things tangible. Um, uh, and so, you know, talking about this kind of hurling off of, of things. Um, so sometimes in relationships, um, when we're, we're struggling with forgiveness, um, what we'll do is we'll engage in some sort of a argument or a conflict, and then we start bringing up things from the past, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the example that I'm thinking of specifically here is within a marriage, um, you know, that, that there kind of becomes like a, a scorecard or of some sort. And anytime there's a conflict, then we kind of start dipping into um, the past, pulling old hurts out and kind of hurling them at the other person, right? Not in a forgiveness kind of way, but in an attacking kind of way. Um, and I've used the term throwing stones. You know, we throw stones at each other when we're fighting. And uh, <clears throat> when a couple is really trying to work on forgiveness, um, some, some of the times I've actually had them physically get stones and write like with a Sharpie or something like that on the stone, um, the word that kind of best sums up whatever that infraction was or whatever that hurt was. And I said, okay, you have a choice. You can... Um, not actually throw this at your partner, <laughs> but, but, you know, verbally you're throwing this at your partner. So if we were to, if we were to actually cast this off, what might that look like? And so, um, sometimes it's, uh, they take those stones home and then they go maybe drive out to the lake or they drive down to the creek or something like that. And they physically will cast those stones out into the water to, to, both of them together saying, this isn't, we don't want this to define our relationship. We want to, we want to get rid of these. We're casting these things off. We're not going to use them to hurt one another anymore. And so they're physically throwing them away. Um, Another way, sometimes if they don't do that, we'll write it on paper um, and they'll throw it in the garbage can on the way out of the office after a session or something um, to, to really just kind of have that tangible practice of casting off. And I, I find that that's been really impactful for people to make something that is so emotional, spiritual, uh, cognitive into something a bit more tangible or physical kind of helps with that practice. 
Um, and then sometimes I've had people say, yeah, it came back up. So I wrote it down again and I threw it yeah. away. And that's that that's practice, that, practice, that yes. practice part. And, and I love those rituals and actions you, you just described because that's the putting, putting the metaphor to it, you know, the picture, uh, you know, the, the word to, to cast it off or to hurl it away is, is a very powerful metaphor that can be acted out in that kind of, you know, ritual of throwing the rock into mm -hmm. the, into the pond and you know, removing it from my sight. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing this. I'm taking the action now to throw that. That's my desire. And I, I believe those, those examples can create very powerful moments in the memory to hang on to, mm -hmm. to, to, I did do this before. I, I can do it again. There's a continuous action. Yeah, that um, practice. Practice. And, and we did that um, with a, a youth group exercise where we had a campfire and had all the kids. And you know, we were talking about you know negative self-talk and the labels that mm. the world or ourselves or even Satan may put on us. And what are your labels? What are the things that people have said that have hurt you? What are the, the hurts you carry that you don't know what to do with and you want to be released of? And write those down, fold it up. And then we did that, didn't share them. And then one by one, they went up and threw it in the fire. Mm -hmm. And they came back and I gave them a, another piece of paper which had on it something that was... Uh, a word of endearment or a, a virtue or fruit that God had established, like you are loved, mm. you are eternally valued, you are patient, you are kind, you are, you know, the things that Christ has now made us as new creed. That's your new identity, your new value, mm. who you are in Christ. And it was just very powerful to watch these, these young people cast their hurts into the flame and then to pick up and receive a new, um, a new identity and label that they could carry with them. And, and, you know, that idea of you said casting stones. And then the other thing we do is we build walls, mm. you know, stonewalling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll get into those, you know, argument where Johnny and Susie are married now and, mm -hmm. and the alienating talk. And like you said, yeah. the, the hurling of those hurts and the deflecting of it with a wall and how, how God has done that he, he's cast it away and he's torn down the walls. You know, mm -hmm. Forgiveness and reconciliation are the opposite of the, of the the stonewalling and the you know the projection of the hurts onto each other and he cancels it out he tosses it away he tears it down and he removes the barrier so that we can find peace again and the very things we do he does in the opposite mm -hmm. and so it, it comes so what do i do as i carry this out in this linear horizontal way whenever i find that stumbling but i got to go back to the vertical yeah how has he done it now I can move forward and do it too, not perfectly, but practically with practice continually. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts. I mean, I, I love that you brought up stonewalling too, because that is sometimes we aren't throwing the stones at the other person, but yeah, we're, we're setting them down brick by brick, stone by stone to build this wall that um, in some way, I, I got to think there's a self-protective kind of uh, inclination in that, like, oh, I'm keeping this kind of keeping track of all of these hurts and kind of building this wall as a way of like protecting myself. And but, as a record. Of yeah. Too. Yeah. Yeah. That you can always kind of go to and point to and name each one, each brick in the wall. 
Yeah. Um, so, so there's this process of, of kind of uh, smashing or taking down the wall. Um, You're being very Pink Floydish right now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was, I was actually reminiscing a little bit of my, about my time in Germany and, um, and spending time in Berlin awesome. and going to yeah. the, the Berlin wall museum and kind of seeing these big, huge chunks and yeah, just seeing, cause I, I can recall, I was young, but I can recall seeing images on TV of the, of the wall coming yeah. down. Um, so just, yeah, there's this liberation that happens when we tear that wall down. So we think that it's doing one thing, but but there's so much freedom that comes when we bring that wall down. Personal freedom. Yeah. You know, not even just for the other person, but for yourself. Yeah. And that's such a surprising aspect of God's grace that the one who's really set free is me mm -hmm. from my own resentments and hurts and grudges. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like... Um, uh, it's like poison, right? It's like kind of uh, this this like infection that's poisoning us from the inside out um, when when we just harbor and hold on to um, all of this, yeah, pain and anger and resentment. Um, the the other thought that I had too, though, is we've been talking a lot about uh, interpersonal forgiveness here, forgiveness between people, forgiveness between. Um, husband and wife, close relationships, but there's also a internal forgiveness. There are times when we look back in our own life and we have a hard time forgiving ourselves for choices that we've made, mistakes that have been had, actions that were taken or not taken. And we seem to like hold on to those too. Um, and so this, this uh, you, you'd made a reference to self-compassion. And I wondered if you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, self-compassion is to have that. Um, it's kind of an ironic word. I mean, compassion means to share a passion, to share a sympathy. Mm -hmm. But I'm doing it with me. Mm -hmm. So there's that interpersonal um, healing that I'm personal kindnesses to myself and not, not in a self-centered way and not in, even in a self-esteem way, but I think in a self-worth way, you know, self-esteem is kind of the inner estimation of my value that I feel I might have in relation to others, but self-worth, that's kind of an, ob not a subject, but an objective conference in my self-worth mm -hmm. is my value mm -hmm. that God has conferred upon me. Mm -hmm. And to have self-compassion is to not just remember who I am, but whose I am. Mm -hmm. And to find the ability to be kind to me because I'm loved by God and he loves me and he has put eternal value and worth on me. In fact, Christ loved me so much that he deigned to come down. He chose, he decided to leave the glories of heaven to become my Emmanuel, to be God with me, God for me, to partner alongside of me because not in a self-absorbed way, but in a truly, I am valued by him, important, treasured way. He loves me that much to do that. And if, if that's the love he has for me, that means I'm loved. And if I'm loved by God, then I'm able to love myself 
in how I understand who I am in God mm-hmm. and to find ways to to carry out that concept and just, I guess, not being so hard on self. Mm-hmm. And again, I go back to the atonement of Christ. You know, it's so easy. You know, the sins of the world, you know, God was reconciling the world to himself. I, I know Paul, you know, chief of sinners though I be. If he died for the world, God so loved the world that he gave. You know, there's that decision and action. But who does that include? That includes me. Mm-hmm. As if I were the only one. And if I'm the only one, that means I have value. And if I have value, that means I am forgiven and I can forgive even me. And it reminds me of that um, kind of a country westernish uh, Christian song, you know, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And it was a, you know, it's a beautiful understanding of, you know, I'm not on an ego trip. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm nothing on my own, but he did that for me because he loves me so much. And what wondrous love for me and, and to bathe in that, if you will, in a, in a, a healthy way, yeah. I think is good. You know, a love bath in the gospel mm-hmm. helps, helps to cleanse the soul and self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really getting at identity then. Um, you know, even going back to that example of the you throwing those those labels, those terms into the fire, those whether put on by the world or put on by themselves, um, you know, this was how they were identifying. And um, the, the reality is, is that at times some of those self-assessments are true because we are pretty crummy (laughs) reality check yeah Yeah. reality check here like we do selfish things we um we're sinful and in our sin um we hurt ourselves and we hurt others and so it's this isn't uh um this isn't saying oh it's not so bad or it's no big deal what i've done um but it it's you using this blessing of forgiveness to live in our our identity in Christ yeah. Yeah. right and not live in who we have been in the past or who we were yesterday when I lost my temper or I was lazy and I didn't do the thing that I said I was going to do or you know like but that I don't in forgiveness that doesn't become my identity yeah and I think you're hitting on the, the importance of repentance too, you know, which is, I think, an honest assessment of the responsibilities I have uh, to to the separation, the division, the conflict, the hurt that I have caused. Mm-hmm. And you know, taking ownership of that is, I think, essential in the practice of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, because because uh, hurt is um, cyclical. Like we we feel hurt or we are hurt and then in our hurt we at times will then act in ways that are hurtful either to ourselves or to others and it's got to we've got to interrupt that cycle somewhere yeah. right um, and i think starting with ourselves is a useful place to be able to say okay these are the things that i can take ownership for these are the things that i can take responsibility for and then I can work on this practice of forgiveness. And, and that's, again, rooted in what we see vertically, 
in our relationship with God, but not, um, yeah, because I, I know some people don't like this idea of like self-forgiveness, like, oh, you have to forgive yourself. Um, but I think, I think it, it is, it is a kind of a, a, a putting off of my identity as the sinful person and continuing to put on my identity, whether that's um, remembering our baptism, um, exactly. and, right, and going um, going to the Lord's Supper, that there are these like tangible reminders of the forgiveness that we have. Yeah, and that's really important that they have these tangible reminders because I think that's something essentially important in forgiveness that God gives us. We tend to forget who we are and whose we are. And, and yeah, forgiving self is to be reminded, as you said, you know, Paul, you know, the good I want to do, I don't do, the bad I do. I mean, this I keep on doing. The spiritual doo-doos. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, and thanks be to God, he gives me the victory. Um, but I have to be really honest with recognizing who I am and that I am a struggling saint. I am a forgiven sinner. Mm -hmm. To not minimize either aspect of that yeah. is, is, I think, where we find the practice of forgiveness. That's and, so hard, though. I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's so hard yeah. to hold both of those yeah. um, like in equal measure, like to, you know, and not, not become overburdened with guilt um, or, or kind of this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this carefree, like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, I'm just. That's why I think, the, you know, the season of Lent and Easter is so important for mm -hmm. that balance. Because, yeah, we see what Christ, the suffering servant, has done for, but there's the empty tomb. Yeah. There's the, there's the newness, the, the second chance, the, you know, it's all, I have made all things new again. And that's who we are. Um, but I don't ever want to lose sight of what I was. You know, what even Paul brings out, that's what you once were. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Past tense. <laughs> you know, yeah, but this is now who I am. And I'm that struggling saint. And I, I know, but there's still these kind of, you know, to use the Native American metaphor of the two wolves, mm. you know, still in the Paul would say the, mm -hmm. you know, the flesh and the spirit are, are fighting um, and they, they don't submit to each other. You know, who am I feeding? Yeah. And in order to feed, I need to know I am forgiven. And, and, and if forgiveness is made available for people who sin, then it's made available for me. For whom did Jesus come to save? He came to save sinners. That's me. I'm in great company mm -hmm. with my Savior. And, and those tangible, you know, baptism. I mean, talk about newness, yeah. a bath, yep. washing. I mean, it's so palpable, the, the, you know, the, the visual aid there that God gives of cleansing and, what little baby doesn't, you know, they get the used to it, but <laughs> I've seen many baptisms where they don't like the bath. Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. But, the, you know, we get the picture of the, the warm bath, you know, the clean, warm smell of being wrapped in that mm -hmm. towel and, and just uh, washed and uh, comfortable and cozy and, and feeling safe and secure. What, what, a, what a great adoption picture. Mm -hmm. And then Lord's Supper. I think we talked about that once. We did, yeah. The tangible reminder of, I love you, mm -hmm. and I continue to forgive you. Jesus said, it is finished, sure, one-time act, but the continuous results 
but that one-time act, it only culminated on 33 AD, but it was something God had imagined and began before the world's air were made. You know, Ephesians, Colossians fleshes that out, and then it is finished. Continuous, timeless results, past, present, and future. And how can the God who forgave my sins continue to forgive me? Because he knows we need that continuous practice. Self-forgiveness. I mean, Lord's Supper is self-forgiveness. Why do I go there? I know Jesus loves me. But like I know my wife loves me, I also love to hear her say it. Mm -hmm. And so I know Jesus loves me, but I'm hard on myself. I doubt. I need to hear him tell me. And every time I receive him in that sacrament, he is saying, take, eat. I give myself to you anew. Your sins are forgiven. I love you. And boy, is that not self-forgiveness mm -hmm. right there? So it's funny how God always knows what we need way before we figure out <laughs> All, what we always, need. Always, <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah. What a beautiful note to be able to transition on um I, you know I, I think as we're bringing this to a close um i'm wondering uh like i had referenced the talk that i went to by harold sank bio um dying to live mm -hmm. that's his book on forgiveness um excellent resource uh one that one that i've enjoyed and uh and found very useful. What would have been some resources for you? Um, you have certainly talked a lot about a number of places within Scripture today, more than I could even keep track of. <laughs> but but if if people are wanting to read more, hear more um, about some of what we've discussed today, what what would be some resources that you might direct them to? I know there's a, a nice book, I think it was by J.O. Preuss from Concordia called Just Words. Okay. And in that he goes into detail explaining a lot of, you know, just the meaning behind a lot of these biblical words like forgiveness, reconciliation, peace, mm. um, yeah, marriage, and things like that. And looking at it from the soteriological or the salvation point of view, but then also making application to how does that have a touchstone in our daily life? Yeah. So that's been one that's been helpful for me. Um, another book that has really helped me with understanding self-forgiveness in the midst of theodicy or pain and suffering and, you know, the whole question, why God, mm -hmm. um, is uh, by Gregory Schultz. It's a kind of a personal autobiography, I think, called The Problem of Suffering, mm -hmm. where he talks about his own personal struggles with the health issues of his children, um, even the Lord calling some of them to heaven and how he as a, a dad and a pastor and a, a husband wrestled with that as, as Job did mm -hmm. and coming through that kind of cathartic struggle and coming out the other side with a greater appreciation of the promises of God and how he kind of discusses his internal struggle with being angry at God. How do I process that? You know, where do I find forgiveness for that for me? Um, how do I find the ability to grieve properly with hope? And so it's been a, a good one that it's it's a 
it's a little dated. I think late nineties that yeah. may have come out, but so a short read, but a very powerful read, mm-hmm. um, just on the uh, personal view of that. Yeah. So those are just a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, and I'll I'll look them up. I'll link them in the in the show notes for the episode so that people can access those. Um, that's fantastic. So you, I mean, we talked at the beginning about how you're in this kind of new phase um, of helping of working in God's kingdom as a, as a full-time counselor and six months in. Um, but as you look into the, into the coming year, the, the next six months, even, you know, what, what kind of things are on the horizon for you? What are, what are you looking to do? What are some of your kind of goals uh, for the work that you're doing or, or for you personally? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I'll let you know what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. uh, personally, I want to continue to uh, secure licensure here in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. That's a personal goal that I'm working on at the moment uh, so I can have that uh, aspect uh, and more more letters behind my name, um, which is good. I mean, it's good to have credibility. And yeah, in well, we're, we're in the world. Yep. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's a demonstration that we're meeting the, the standards set forth by our state to be able to practice competently and yep. ethically. And that, that is incredibly important. Yep. And uh, just doing good, solid clinical work yeah. is, is uh, like you said, just uh, essential. Um, also trying to help create a greater awareness of the mission of Christian Family Solutions and bringing that mission to, to people uh, to create not just an awareness that we have the ministry and could perhaps help to meet people's hurts with the healing of Jesus in their personal life, but how can others help to support our ministry um, with their prayers and their financial and, you know, also time and talent Mm -hmm. uh, stewardship Mm -hmm. as well. So one of the aspects of my ministry is also helping with mission advancement and, you know, looking to develop that, uh, especially around uh, this part of the state of Minnesota, Mankato to New Ulm-ish area, mm-hmm. uh, just trying to create greater awareness. So yeah. on behalf of the ministry, looking forward to developing that. Um, and this personally, just looking forward to um, enjoying our new home. You know, we haven't, mm-hmm. we've been here end of August, got into some fall and winter and um, just settling in still and just looking forward to just developing deeper roots in the community and just spending more time with my family in this area and, and just growing to love uh, Minnesota nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you touched on something that that I've been thinking about and, and, and working on in some sense is, you know, just serving our rural areas um, of the state. And, you know, you get out even just in and around Mankato, um, as soon as you leave the city limits, like access to services is pretty limited yeah. and uh and so just being able to have that outreach and and finding you know ra- again raising awareness that services are accessible um that they're available and accessible for people to address their mental health and their spiritual needs um yeah just really important work that you're doing to to reach um people in all areas, not not just the urban ones, but our rural areas as well. So thank you for that work, Ed. My privilege. Yeah. And uh, it is truly a privilege. 
Yeah. I feel like I am drowning in blessings some days in a good way. <laughs> in a good way, yeah. Well, it's been uh, a fantastic time talking with you. Thank you so much for coming on the, on the podcast and uh, look forward to future conversations like this with you. I as well. Thank you so much for the time. A big thank you to Ed for joining the WellMind community and thank you for spending your time with me today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe through your podcast app so that you automatically get the latest episode. New episodes are released the first and third Monday of each month. Also consider taking a moment to review the show if you found our discussion meaningful to you. Word of mouth is great too. Let people know about the WellMind podcast and spread the word. Please check out the links in the show notes to access the resources we discussed during our conversation in this episode. Many thanks to the staff here in the Bethany Lutheran College podcast studio. Greg and Seth are tremendous in providing technical support for the podcast. Special thanks as always to Lauren McMacken for designing the logo and the cover art. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be well.